Ah, good morning. Again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's good, good to be together. Uh, this is always a challenging Sunday in the church calendar. And Colton uh, alluded to that already. And thank you, Colton, for, uh, for hosting and introing us and reminding me to text my mom. Uh, so while I was backstage, I was like, oh, good idea. So I text my mom, happy, happy Mother's Day. So uh, when she watches this back, she'll, she'll know why I sent, sent it when I did. Um, it's always a challenging Sunday in the church calendar uh, because it's a Sunday that's full of joy and pain uh, all at the same time. And actually often, uh, I think the first time since I've been here in the, in the 13 years that I've been at SunWest, uh, we've never actually done a Mother's Day service. We've never done a Mother's Day sermon. We've kind of always alluded to it, uh, but, you know, tiptoeing around it, you know, it's always been easier to say something, and then we kind of move on with what we're regularly doing uh, on our Sundays. Uh, but I just felt like that's not honoring either. And, uh, and so this morning, we just want to uh, actually take the morning and think about uh, what Mother's Day means. We want to think about not only mothers that we have or mothers that are in this room, but also the idea of God as mother. And uh, the sermon this morning is titled, More Than a Father. And so I'm just going to pray before we kind of jump in here. God, we thank you uh, that you are here with us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that at the end of the day, every single person in this room is your child, uh, that you create us to be your children. And so, Lord, we thank you for the moms in this room that are connected to us. Uh, but, Lord, we also just thank you for giving, you giving life to us. Uh, Lord, we live and move and have our being uh, because you have given it to us. You have given us life. And so we just say thank you. And we just invite your spirit to come and to speak and to meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, is God male or female? Yes. <laughs> you know, in, in Genesis one twenty seven, we read that God created human beings in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both male and female represent, uh, re-image God to those, uh, to the rest of creation. In fact, I, I've spoken on this many times, but uh, there's this idea in the Greek, uh, there's a Greek word called akons, uh, that we, is where we get the idea of icons from that uh, an icon is something that is a representation of something else. And in the beginning, God created male and female to be icons in creation, to be uh, reflections of God to the rest of creation. We were created to rule and reign with God on this earth, to co-partner with him in what he's doing, uh, so that other people and all of creation, in fact, would be pointed towards God uh, because of the male and female human beings that God created to uh, be his ambassadors on this earth. 
Yet most depictions of God are male. You know, we often talk about uh, God using male language, uh, God as Father. You know, Jesus was a male. And, uh, and those, those things tell us something important and valuable, what God is like, who God is. But God is neither male nor female. That doesn't make, you know, metaphors about God being male or female untrue. In fact, we have a, we have a propensity in our culture, in our Western world, to think that uh, truth is only found in empirical uh, pursuit, that we have to be able to prove it. Our Western empirical brains have a tendency to deny truths that are embedded in metaphor or song or art. But yet there's many things that you and I know that are true that we uh, didn't just sit down and figure out mentally, but because we've experienced them and we know that they're true. How many of you have seen a piece of art and, and you've been inspired like God has spoken to you through a piece of art? Anybody? Or a song, you're sitting there listening to a song. And maybe that song was on Shine FM, but maybe that song was on a non-Christian channel, but somehow God actually spoke to you and met with your heart in that song. Anybody, has that happened to you? Or you're watching a movie and, and God tugs at your heartstrings in that moment. You see, we experience this all the time, that God reveals himself to us, not just in empirical data, but also in metaphorical, artistic truth. And the Bible is full of it. You know, metaphor is a figure of speech. It's a comparison of different things that have some similarities. So, for example, if you're eating breakfast and then you say to your brother or sister, you're such a pig, which I've said to my younger brother many times. What do you mean? Because you don't mean that they're actually literally a real pig, right? Uh, no, of course not. You're saying that the way they are eating is gross, it's greedy, it's sloppy, just like a pig. That's a metaphor, a comparison of two different things that share some similarities. Or if someone looks out the window and says, oh, wow, there's a blanket of snow. We said that for way too long this year. What do they mean? Does it actually mean there's a blanket outside made out of real snow? You're saying, no, that's silly. Of course not. They mean that just like a blanket covers a bed, so snow is covering the ground. It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. And so the Bible is full of this metaphorical language trying to give us a glimpse of what God is like, who God is. Here's an example. In Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. So God is a rock. Does that mean that God is literally a rock? Obviously, that's not what it means. You know, where we talked at last uh, series, we talked about God as a shepherd, and we are sheep. Are we literally sheep? Is God literally a shepherd? No, those are me metaphorical language used to describe a truth about God. I have some rocks here. So when the Bible says God is a rock, it's actually saying that God is gray, kind of oval-shaped, weighs about 30 pounds, or maybe it means that God is very small and I can throw him and skip him across water and he's smoother, he's not rough, he's smooth. Obviously, it's missing the point, right? What it's saying here in the passage is that God is a rock and that he's strong, that he's a shield, that he is powerful, that he is firm, 
that he is foundational. But to stretch the metaphor too far would be to miss the point. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? In fact, a, a book was written a little while back uh, that I actually put off reading for the longest time just because everybody read it. I was like, well, if everybody else is reading, I'm not going to read it. But uh, So somebody, William Young wrote The Shack, and in, in Shack, God is represented as a black woman. And it offended people. If you look on the internet, like people were just offended. They called him a heretic. And they, you know, this cannot be, this is not true. Uh, and I, I, finally this last week, I'm like, I just got to read this book. So I, so I read the book. Uh, and the book is powerful. It's very powerful. Uh, it, it picks up on some important themes in life that many of us struggle with. And if you don't understand the concept of metaphor, we, we actually miss, a, we miss powerful truths that the Bible brings to us that William Young was trying to raise in that book. And so let me just read a conversation uh, that happened in the book. Um, so she, being God in the, in the story, picked up the wooden spoon again, dripping with some sort of batter. Mackenzie, I'm neither male nor female. Even though both genders are derived from my nature, if I choose to appear to you as a man or a woman, it's because I love you. For me to appear to you as a woman and suggest that you call me Papa, which was the name that she uh, was going by in the book, is simply to mix metaphors, to help keep you from falling so easily back into your religious conditioning. She leaned forward as if to share a secret, to reveal myself to you as a very large white grandfather figure, flowing beard like Gandalf, would simply reinforce your religious stereotypes. And this weekend is not about reinforcing your religious stereotypes. So Mackenzie, he believed in his head at least that God was spirit, neither male nor female. But in spite of that, he was embarrassed to admit that to himself that all of his visuals for God were very white and very male. Mackenzie, I am what some would say holy and holy other than you. The problem is that many folks try to grasp some sense of who I am by taking the best version of themselves, projecting it to the nth degree, Factoring all the goodness they can perceive, which often isn't much, and then call that God. And while it may seem like a noble effort, the truth is that it falls pitifully short of who I really am. I'm not merely the best version of you that you can think of. I am far more than that, above and beyond all that you ask or think. We understand this intuitively because we do it all the time. Uh, you know, if you have, if, you, if you've talked to somebody from a different culture, a different generation, you do this all the time. If you have children and you've tried to explain some kind of truth to your children, you embedded that truth in some explanation of Thomas the Train or Fortnite or Pokemon. You, you, you find something in your child's world that they would understand and you say, it's like this. And so we speak in ways to help people understand, people that are not living in the same world as you, so they can help understand something from your world and from your mind that you're trying to reveal to them. So when God reveals himself in a metaphor, it's because he is holy. And the word holy means to set apart. He is different than us. We said he is not male or female. He is completely separate and although male and female reflect something of God's image, they do not contain God in and of themselves. And so God speaks to us 
in his holiness, in his set-apartness, God uses the familiar to communicate to give us a glimpse of truth. And we often take the familiar and make it into a box for God. Let me say that again. God takes the familiar, something that's familiar to us, and communicates it to reveal to us a glimpse of truth. But we can often take that familiar thing and then make a box out of it and just think and lie to ourselves and believe that God fits into that nice little box. And so all I'm saying here is that God is beyond male, God is beyond female, uh, and, uh, but there's powerful, beautiful, truthful, ground-shaking, paradigm-shifting metaphors throughout Scripture that are intended to pull you out of where you are into a new revelation of who God is. So the danger of a metaphor is that when a metaphor image in our, is when a metaphor image in our context defines the subject. So does the rock tell us everything about God? No. In fact, the rock, the rock probably tells us things that are not true about God if we understand in the wrong way, jagged, colored, smooth, like, like we said. Uh, but God is solid and strong, and so there's aspects of that image in, in Psalm 18 that is true. Stay with me for one more second. There's a, you know, if, if you spend time studying how to study Scripture, there's, there's two uh, primary ideas that you will come at, and one uh, one word is exegesis, and exegesis is, comes from the Greek word ex, means out of. So scholars are kind of unanimous in saying that, you know, the best way to actually be influenced by God's revelation in Scripture is to understand the intent of the Bible and to draw the truth out of the Bible and, it, um, and apply that to our lives. Does this make sense? Eisegesis, so this comes from the Greek word eis, which means into. It's when people come to a text and they read some predetermined understanding or belief systems into the Bible. Right? So we're actually shaping the Bible, not the Bible shaping us. The philosopher Voltaire says this, In the beginning, God created mankind in his own image, and mankind has been trying to return the favor ever since. So I start with this because I, I, I want to, I, I think we need to be very clear here. Uh, that when God reveals himself as father, when God reveals himself as mother, uh, those are very real, true, powerful truths, but God is beyond those things. And it's not uncommon that we read our own, in, own experience or understanding of what that metaphor is. If I had a really bad experience with a rock as a kid, it's very easy for me to perform eisegesis and now project that bad experience onto God. Instead of exegesis and trying to understand what the Bible is trying to reveal to me about the character of God and then changing my life according to that. Do you guys see the difference? So I don't know your experience. But the reality is that we reflect the image of God. God does not reflect our image. God is set apart. God is other than. God is beyond us. And so now, as we look to some female motherly metaphors or descriptions of what God is like in Scripture, I think we need to come at it from that approach. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. 
There's something very important here. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. God's saying this truth. Mother can't do it. But then God acknowledges here in Isaiah, even if that were possible, some of you have experiences where a truth of Scripture has not been the truth or the reality of what you have lived. And so God's being extra clear here and saying, no matter your experience, this is what God is like. But even if you have not experienced that from an earthly mother, that does not negate the fact that this is true about God. Even if your mother has abandoned you, God says, I will not forget you. I am different. I am other than. But that aspect of what it means to be a mom that comes alongside her child, that doesn't forget her nursing child, that loves her child, that is a glimpse of the heart, the mother heart of God for you. And it is not dependent on your human experience with your own mother or being a mother. It's true of God regardless of your own story. Even when we fail as humans to reflect the image of God, it does not change the image of God. In Luke chapter 13, we kind of see a double metaphor. We see God, Jesus describing himself as a mother hen. And this is what it reads. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. I just want to reflect on a couple of thoughts out of this passage this morning. How often I have wanted to gather your your children together as a hen protects her children beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. The first thing is that God has unfulfilled longings. Do you, do you, do you catch this? How long I have wanted this? Sometimes you think that God just gets whatever he wants, but because of the loving nature of God, God created us with the ability to choose. You know, when I speak with youth, I often joke, you know, when I, when I married my wife, I forced her to marry me, and we've been happily married ever since. They, and we intuitively know that it's not true, because a, a truly honoring, loving relationship involves two parties saying yes to one another. And in the creation of the world, God gave humanity a choice, it gave humanity the ability to walk in relationship with him, but with that choice also came the possibility of walking apart from him. And so because of that loving nature of God, that God in his essence is love, the potential for God to have unfulfilled longings is actually a result of his loving essence. That God would risk with you and me, that he would risk in creating humanity, knowing that there might be an unreturned love and so we, hear, we see here Jesus grieving that, Jerusalem, I have longed. I have this longing. And it's unfulfilled. And I, and I think on Mother's Day, we have to recognize that 
we as human beings have longings that go unfulfilled. And I, and I don't stand here on Mother's Day with e easy answers that say, uh, you know, this is, this is how to fix it. And I think that's the beautiful concept when we think of the female attributes of God, the mothering side of God, that he's a God, and I'll come back to this in a second, but he's a God that comes alongside of. You know, we often think of dads as, you know, the fix-it people. That's not me, but other dads. Uh, <laughs> stereotypes of, you know, real dads that uh, know how to fix things. Mom doesn't know how to fix it. Lisa fixes more things than I do. Uh, but mom often doesn't know how to fix it, but mom knows how to be with. And we see here Jesus saying, I have this longing that's unfulfilled. There's something that I've been waiting for, longing for, uh, that just hasn't come into reality. You know, some in this room have a, have a longing for motherhood that has been unfulfilled. And I don't have an easy answer for you other than to say that, that God understands, that God empathizes, that Jesus himself knows what it means to have longings that are unfulfilled. Some of you have a longing to have a certain type of relationship with your own kids or, your, or a spouse. You're single and you, you want a spouse or your marriage didn't quite work out the way you wanted and you have this longing that was unfulfilled. And Jesus, he understands and he empathizes with that longing. Some of you had mothers that you had expectations of the type of relationship you were going to have with her that went unfulfilled. You know, some in our community have lost mothers, you know, even in these last couple of months. And there might be disappointment there, but this is, there is a God that understands disappointment, that understands the cost of love and relationship and longing and hope. Jesus longed to gather his children like a mother gathers her hens. And the second point I want to make in Luke 13, not only does God have unfulfilled longings, that Jesus talks and uses this language of gathering and protecting. And I believe that this is, this is motherhood type of language. This is, when we talk about the mother heart of God, this is what we're getting at. And Hosea 13.8, check this out. Like a bear whose cubs have been taken away, I will tear out your heart. I will devour you like a hungry lioness and mangle you like a wild animal. You do not want to mess with a mom. You know, check out this video behind me, even as, I, even as I describe this. You do not want to run into a grizzly bear with her cubs. Can I get an amen to that? I, I, I love mountain biking, and I, and I go out often on my own, and I have nightmares of this experience of being on a trail, encountering a grizzly mom with her cubs, and often when a mountain biker comes around a corner, typically on a downhill, and they run into a mom like this with her cubs, it's almost game over. Because the, and you'll notice in the, in the animal kingdom, this is, this is a consistent attribute of the mothers of babies. They protect their cubs. Hey, you can turn that off. I'm going to have nightmares. Uh, <laughs> you do not want to see that. 
Because a mom gathers, a mom protects. Which links to the next point that, that the, this mother heart of God that Jesus is describing is, you know, this, this mother hand would longs to hide her children under her wing. It's part of the protection image. In Isaiah 66, verse 12, we read this. I think we read this. It says, This is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Her children will be nursed at her breasts. I haven't said breasts in a sermon in a long time. Um, There's a number of years ago, I think it was Psalm 150, I was trying to close, and I said, let everything that have breasts praise the Lord. And that's a true, that's true, it's an amen moment, but it's not exactly what the psalm, the psalm says. Her children will be nursed at her breasts, carried in her arms, and held on her lap. I will, what does that say there? Comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. As a mother comforts her child. In fact, when you read through the New Testament and, you know, and Jesus goes to the cross and he's trying to prepare his disciples for it, he's, he says, it's actually better for you that I go because when I go, one is going to come after me, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament is referred to as an advocate. It's part of what the name means, advocate and comforter. That there's this, these attributes of God, these mothering attributes of God where God comes alongside of, that's what the Holy Spirit does, that God comforts, that God advocates. If you've ever experienced a soccer mom, you know what it means to advocate. And I always thought like the dads would be the ones that yelling. No, it's the moms. The moms on the side of the field, they are going, advocating for their kids, comforting their kids. And fourthly, the hen puts the wings around their chicks. It's because a hen is actually a defenseless animal. The only thing a hen can do is try and protect her babies from what the world or what the enemy is throwing at them. And obviously God is not defenseless, but we see Jesus, God with skin on, put his wings around his kids and take the full brunt of the enemy on the cross so that his kids can live, so that his kids can be saved, so that his kids would have life and have life abundantly. This reflects the motherhood heart of God, the selflessness of mothers. And I know that you have people in your life that you would say, there's women in my life that have given up themselves sacrificially for the benefit of others. I have women in my life that are like this. My wife is like this. And uh, I didn't tell her I was going to say anything about her because we have a deal that if I say something about her, I have to pay her money. 
Um, because she does not like to be talked about. She likes to be behind the scenes. I, I, you know, I'm on stage, I'm, a, you know, I'm in the lights. Uh, that's not my wife. And uh, so at, at, at the risk of spending an exorbitant amount of money uh, to my wife, um, this has been true of my wife. When we started dating when we were younger, she had a dream to be a surgeon and a doctor. But when we started dating, she came back to Bible school to be with me. And then so we had this great plan when we decided to get married that she would be a nurse. And so she did two and a half years of nursing. Um, and then we had the blessing of having Joel. It didn't fit into our five-year plan, uh, but God had other plans. And so she put nursing on hold. And once we started having, uh, we had Joel, we decided to have, you know, to keep, to keep it going. Uh, and, you know, 12 years later, you know, my wife, who's very career-oriented, uh, has given up her career for the benefit of our family, of me, of ministry, of our kids, so that we could thrive, so that we could be successful. And it's ironic because I had no dreams of my own when I was in college. You know, I had a, <laughs> I had a, I had a 2.2 GPA, just, just enough so I could play basketball. You know, she was like the 4.0 GPA in high school, in college, and had dreams. And the irony is that this guy who didn't really have any aspirations uh, ended up getting called in ministry and following God's lead. And that uh, meant a change for her as well when we had, not only with me, but when we had kids. Um, so uh, don't make a big deal out of that because she won't like that and I'll pay you money later. But I <laughs> thank you and, uh, and I love you. You know, Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And I believe that reflects the mother's heart of God. And I, you know, I'm, I know in my situation, I'm describing my wife, but I know that every one of you probably has women in your lives that you could say that about, that lay down their life. You know, we have, we have single moms in here that lay down their lives every day so that their kids can thrive. We have surrogate moms that love our kids that are babysitting or they're, they're leading our kids and teaching our kids, discipling our kids, even this morning as we're gathering in here, that are giving up their opportunity to sit in a service, in an adult service, and have an adult conversation, and they're having a conversation with your seven-year-old because they want that child, they want your child to have life and life abundantly. There's women like this that have made it possible for the rest of us to live the lives that we're living. And so I just, I think it's important that we don't just skip over Mother's Day, but that we say thank you to those people in our lives that have done that. And I just, as, as we, as I close here, I just want to encourage those who have unfulfilled longings that God gets it and that he's with you. 
One of, the, one of the greatest names of God that I love in Scripture is Emmanuel, that God is with us. We talk about that at Christmas, but we should be talking about that all the time, that God is Emmanuel, that God is with you. And that is the game changer, not necessarily that it always changes your circumstance, but that God, the creator of the world, is beside you. God in his big, even as we were praying before service today, we were praying, you know, God in God's bigness. You know, I find it fascinating that God does not he does not divide himself among all the people in the world, and he can only give you a little bit. Uh, that God is so omnipresent, so big, that he's, he knows the intimacy of your details and your story. And there's this profound paradox at the bigness and untouchability and holiness of God, but yet at the, at the personal intimacy and relationship, and that he knows every single detail about your life, every hair on your head, this is Emmanuel, God with us. Powerful. God knows what it means to have unfulfilled longings. For those of you who are unable to have children or don't have the relationship with your children that you dreamed of, God empathizes with you in that longing. For those of you who have mothers, celebrate where they have helped you see God clearly, where they've reflected the mother heart of God. But recognize that every human being is a broken icon. We're cracked icons. We reflect God imperfectly. And so we don't define God by our experience, but we recognize the people in our lives that have reflected the image of God to us, but we give them grace where they've fallen short of reflecting that to us. So maybe you need to forgive your mom where they distorted God's image to you or they fell short. To the women of influence, thank you for gathering and protecting. Thank you for giving safe harbor and comforting and advocating. Thank you for putting others' needs before your own, just like Jesus, so that other people could have life. More than anything, we want to acknowledge a God this morning who longs to bring us life, who has a longing to be with us, who longs to gather you and protect you, who longs to hide you under his wing, who gives himself freely so that you can have life, who's willing to die on your behalf, so that you can thrive, so that you can know him, so you can have life abundantly and have life eternal. Let's pray. Father, Mother, God, Lord, we thank you that you are one that longs to be in relationship with us. We thank you that you are one that gathers us together, that you're one that protects us, you're one that advocates and comforts us. And Lord, ultimately, you were the one that gave of yourself so that we could have life. So today, Lord, we say thank you to the women, to the mothers who have reflected that God image to us. Lord, we pray that you would honor them and bless them this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So about a week ago, Matt and Amanda asked me to, to share a poem with you guys. It is not my work, but I was honored nonetheless to share this poem. It's called Mother's Day Reflection, written by Mike Taper. Let me start by saying, I believe mothers should be respected, loved, honored, cherished, 
and most certainly they should be protected. Webster tells us that a mother is a female parent, one who gives birth, but for those of us with a good mom, we know of her even greater worth. She was the one who was always there, knowing just the right time to say yes. Though hated then, we see now that her nose were meant for our best. In times of hurt, her words captivated our hearts, working what some would call her mommy magic. We see now that it was just grace and love as she helped us through times so tragic. But before we get swept away in a world of fairy tales and myths, we give pause, realizing that Mother's Day for some is not a day of joy and bliss. For some people, the thought of Mother's Day causes them to mourn. For this day is one of great pain and suffering, a day where their heart was torn, divorced, abused, abandoned, words that have left many feeling alone as they never, never settle into their role, trying instead to protect the children in their home. And what about the pain endured by those who could never have a baby? leading them to believe that God's love at best is a maybe. For all you young ladies who long for the great treasure of a new birth, may I speak life into your heart, that it is your heart and not your womb that is the measure of your worth. The emptiness you feel right now because there is no life in your womb can only be filled by the gospel, not a child, a job, or even a faithful, loving groom. And others of you who may be struggling from the fact that you bought this world's distortion, that today's pain is rooted in yesterday's abortion. Before we go any further, allow me to speak life where death may reign. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cleanse even the darkest sin stain and to heal the deepest soul's pain. Draw from your past, but don't live there. For to do so will turn your heart to stone. But look to the love of Jesus, a love that on an old rugged cross for the world was shown. On that cross, Jesus commissioned his earthly mom with a very exciting task. One that would change her world and another's. What was it, you ask? Behold your son, Mary. He spoke concerning a disciple for whom he had a special love, an adoption at a funeral, something so beautiful it could only have been written from above. For all the moms who gain the status, not in a hospital, but rather in a court of law, we praise God that through adoption you answered the motherhood call. And finally, for those whose moms are no longer on this earth sod, we pray that today you would find you cherishing the moments and the mothers given to you by God. Moms, we stand in your honor today. We thank you for all that you have done. May you continue to mom well until you can no longer see the sun. S-U-N. You know the big ball of fire that hangs in the sky. May the S-O-N reignite your passion that you pass it on before you die. May all the hurts, joys, pains of your story simply not just be wasted, but may they be from your memory cut into your children's hearts be pasted 
Happy Mother's Day, moms. We truly value all of your tendencies and even your little quirks, but most of all, we thank you for modeling for us that, yes, love truly works. As always, if there's uh, anything you want to pray with anyone about, um, we invite you to, to meet with, uh, to pray with one of our prayer teams out in the foyer out down here uh, at the front. And we just want to yeah, just praise God for who he is, what he's done, how he's revealed himself to us, and how he gives us hope, regardless of your story, uh, that he is the one that comes alongside, that advocates, that comforts, that gathers, that protects and so I pray that you would experience that, God, this morning. Um, if, you are a, if you're a parent uh, and your kids are in the foyer, they're, they're doing something for some of you um, in the foyer. And if they're there, you don't need to bring them back to Kids Church to check them out. Uh, that will be your checkout. Uh, but don't take a kid. That's uh, not yours. Uh, God bless Kendall as she manages that. Uh, so... I just want to, I want to end by just singing that chorus again with just our voices. You would just sing that uh, with us. Oh, praise the name of the 